G'day, it's Jack Whelan here, um, barrister and mediator, and I am on the sunny central coast of New South Wales, and I have the great pleasure of uh, being joined by senior clinical psychologist Heather Irvine Rundle. G'day, Heather. How are you? G'day. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for thanks for um, joining us on Separation Guide Podcast Number One. Great to be here. Uh, and thanks for the Reed Clinic being a part of the Separation Guide Network. It's a pleasure and an honour. Terrific. Now, um, we have a fairly profound question before us today and a question that no one is better equipped to answer than you, given over 20 years of experience in in helping um, families, kids and and parents uh, live well, in particular in many cases, assisting uh, families and parents after separation and divorce. Um, So, Heather, here is the question. Is it possible to thrive after separation or divorce? And and if so, how? You start with the big ones, don't you? I do, I do. Okay. No point point messing about. It's really important for listeners to know that it's very possible. Uh, But the pace at which we do this varies greatly and can depend on many factors regarding how the breakdown occurred, why the breakdown occurred, and when the breakdown of the relationship occurred. Uh, For some parents, it can take just more time than others to realise that where one door is shut, other doors can open. So it's very, very possible to thrive, but it's also dependent on what other resources we have. So some people will have huge support networks that can hold them during this time. Some won't have as many. Some will be naturally more emotionally resilient and they may have lives free of hardships and complexities. But the important thing is, is if you don't have those things, this is the time to build them. And um, this is a time where we can have new freedoms, new opportunities. We're not held up by perhaps how someone saw us for many years. We can rebuild ourselves, get a new sense of self, and we can actually flourish. And we, we, t- we say in our industry, we don't survive through divorce and separation. We thrive through divorce and separation, and we come out our best selves at the end. Hmm. And um, in respect of that, that reframing uh, of and merely people thinking that all the best they can do is survive. Yeah. Um, in order for people to be able to take that step and to try and uh, thrive, uh, what are the things which you believe can empower people to be able to make that step? Okay, so some of the things that that parents need to make sure about is that, one, they both realise that although the relationship has ended, they remain in a lifelong business partnership where the business is raising healthy children. It is a lifelong business partnership for raising healthy children. And both parents need to stay willing to work as a team, and that's providing consistent boundaries, turning up at events together, for goodness sake, mum and dad, turn up together. The kids want to see that they can have a basketball game and you can both be in the same room. Stadium's a big mm. enough place mm. for you both. Mm. And they need parents need to stay united on things like drugs, education, healthy lifestyle choices. Both parents need to model healthy lifestyle choices and communication styles. And both parents need to recognise that professional help may be needed, and and that's clear. The other things parents need to do is realise that we need to grieve. At some point, both of these, both or one of you have thought, we're going to be together for a long time, and perhaps one of you thought you'd be together forever. Now, that needs to be grieved. Even though one parent may have been out of the relationship in terms of having an affair or, or moving on in some ways, still the ending is really painful. 
because that's, there's a, the, the grief is the dream of what you thought you were going to have. And it's really important that you, you're supported to grieve in that way. And that doesn't mean that you have to not think about what's happened before you. We need to be sad. We need a space to be angry. We need a space to be hurt and disappointed. And then we need to move forward <laughs> because we need to show our kids that although we've lost a lot, the family's lost a lot, we can move forward. When we look at it in our industry, we call this radical acceptance. Right. Now, the Americans coined the, ter- coined the term, they call it radical acceptance. Um, <laughs> but what it means is that although we, we don't want to, it takes a radical step to accept that this person isn't going to be that person in our lives that we wanted. Uh, it's radical to believe that we're not going to grow old together. It's radical to accept that there's going to be a new mother or a new person who's going to be around our children. And it's called radical acceptance because it often is a big radical leap. The other thing that's really important for us as parents is to say, okay, if I want my child to be healthy, I have to model that what health looks like. So I need to keep up my sport. I need to keep up my friendships. I need to keep up my healthy diet. I need Mm. to keep up all of those healthy behaviours. And that includes, particularly for the mums out there, and I'm not being sexist, it is mums who tend to be more emotional about the divorce. And if kids see us falling apart emotionally and not being able to pick ourselves up, that's really concerning. By all means, you know, throw yourself on the bed and, you know, cry your eyes out, but let your kids see you pick yourself up and say, okay, I've had my cry now. Now I'm going to go and have, you know, a cup of tea or I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to do something healthy. Kids can see you fall apart as long as they also see you pick yourself up because that's what then they learn they can do too. Hmm. So for, for people, there's just so much to so much to un- unpack there. For people who are in that grieving stage, and there'll be many people uh, listening to this who are going through that, um, could be on the on the train, on the way to work, listening to the podcast, or, or at home at night trying to figure out all of the complexities of, of separating and divorcing or living after separation or divorce, going through that grieving process, practically, um, what can they do in that in that moment? Uh, you mentioned having a cup of tea, um, having some act- activity. What are the other things that people can do in order to help manage that grief? It's very important that we. there's two aspects. One is a cognitive aspect and the other one is a physical aspect. So cognitively, it's reminding yourself you were someone important and valuable before you even met this partner who's now left. You can go back to being important and valuable too. In fact, it never left you. And so that cognitive part is finding those thoughts and those, those kind of sense of self within that says, I can do this. I'm still valuable, I'm still important, I can move on. And it's really important that if you can't find any of those thoughts, you do find professional help. Of course, we all have doubts now and again, but if your sense is I can't go on living, I can't do this, it's all too much, I can't handle it, then if and you're not finding that there's some other thoughts coming in to say, yes, you can, come on, get yourself up, keep moving, you can get through today, just what can you do today that's better for you today? What is it that you can actually get done today? How can you be different today than you were yesterday? How can you be better for your kids or for yourself than you were? So there's the cognitive aspect. And sometimes we need our friends to provide that for us when we can't find those words. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes even our kids will be our little cheerleaders and say, come on, let's do this today, mum. And sometimes you'll find that it might be a close family member or a support 
support group of someone else that's gone through. So there's a cognitive aspect of finding those cheerleading voices within. The other, of course, is that we need to stay really physically well. And if um, people um, want to go and see a psychologist or just check in with uh, with uh, the GP even, you'll find that things like uh, watching your breath rate is really important. We know that breath rates that get really high make us more prone to anxiety and more vulnerable to depression and anxiety. So watch your breath rate. You can do some breath rate work with some um, some apps. Just look them up on uh uh, in um, Apple or wherever your type of phone you have. And you'll see ones like Breathe Zone or um, Breathe to Relax. We need to keep our breath rate around 12 breaths per minute in order to be psychologically well. We also need to make sure that we've got a healthy diet and we need to have a healthy sleep patterns, both of which load on what's known as the sympathetic nervous system, which is the system that makes us feel overwhelmed and feel we can't cope. So having too much caffeine, (laughs) uh, going without sleep, loads on the system that also says to the brain, I can't cope, it's all too much, I, I, I can't keep going. So we need to put in place cognitive and behavioural strategies. And as the ones I've mentioned aren't particularly hard, watching how we think. And sometimes just regulating our breathing can be enough to pull us down out of that flight, fight, freeze zone and back into a part of the brain that says, I've got this, Hmm. I can keep moving forward. And does that feed on itself? If people are able to um, have that mindset and reach that point whereby they start to have some confidence that, yes, I've got this. Yeah. what what happens next? And then I'm going to ask you if if, if they can't manage that, yeah. what can be the consequences of walking through either door? It's, it's, it's important what you say because basically once you say I've got this, you start to take responsibility for what happens next. And with many people who have gone through separations and divorce, what happens is they're still stuck in a culture of wanting to blame the other person for everything mm. that's gone wrong in their mm. life. They're wanting to, the other person to change in order to bring about change for them. And what we find is that once you can have those cognitions that say, I've got this, I can handle this, you start making the changes you need in your life rather than waiting for someone who may not be interested in, you mm. know, in your welfare, may not be interested in where that you're going in life to change for you because that can put you in a really tricky situation. The best person who ever put your life on track is you. Mm. And if we're still waiting for someone else to change, for someone else to come back, for someone else to somehow be the person we want them to be rather than who they are, we put all the power back in their hands and that's dangerous. We need to show our kids and ourselves the power sits within Mm. and that's how we move forward. Mm. So you mentioned um, there a couple of moments ago about the behaviours that the parents uh, need to model for their for their kids, and the importance of that. Um, what could be the consequences of modelling the wrong sorts of behaviours? Uh, great, great question, and one that we see mainly in our clinic. Right. It's it's an interesting one, and I hope you forgive me for a little bit of um, psychology speak, but we actually call this being a grown up. <laughs> Or being an adult (laughs) because what you'll find is that when we're vulnerable and we're scared and we're hurt and we're disappointed and we're grieving, we can often behave a lot like children. Mm. And when you've got children trying to parent children, as you can see from the playground, it usually doesn't work very well. Just just on that, just really quickly, with such a rich vein, it's so, so important. But presumably any parent... Um, wealthy, not um, sophisticated, not 
um, struggling or, or managing is still capable of exhibiting those sorts of childlike behaviours wow. when they're not their best self. Well, we all are, yeah. you know. Yeah. You, you know, you come to you yeah. and watch me for long enough and you'll see that I'm the same. Yeah. The, the issue isn't whether we move into those states or not, because we all do. Mm. The issue is how quickly we recognise how appropriate it is for the circumstance. Mm. So if we're, if we're, as I said, it's okay to become emotional mm. if you can find enough of your grown-up self to say, how do I get out of this? Mm. How do I move on from this? We need to model sadness. We need to model grief. We need to model um, anxiety to our kids so that they know what to do with it. Mm. But what is the ha- most harmful for kids, and research shows it time and time again, is when we've got one very angry parent dealing with another very angry parent. Mm. And conflict between parents is the single biggest problem we have for all separated families. Right. It is in the research, it is loud and clear if you're in conflict with the other parent, your kids are going to be in trouble. Right. And it's not the divorce or the separation that determines the, whether a child thrives or not in life. It's how what the level of conflict is. Right. That is very, very clear. So even in families who stay together with high-level conflict, the outcomes aren't good. But if you've got a divorce and separation plus conflict, the outcome is not great. And you at least have to hold up your end of the bargain wherever possible, of not engaging in that childlike conflict, moving up, sometimes being the bigger person, even though you know the other person may not have an appropriate position, may not have a, you know, a healthy way of dealing with things, if you can avoid conflict, avoid it. Okay, and you might need to come back and deal with it another day. Not every situation has to be dealt with at the time. In that moment, take a break. Mm-hmm. Come back. At least you can show your kids because if your partner is highly conflictual, it's likely they're going to conflict with your kids too. And your children need to learn how to step back from that parent who's involved in a lot of conflict and when to come back and try again in a different way on another day. So if, um, if in circumstances where you do have that children raising children yeah. uh, dynamic uh, and parents are at war, uh, so to speak, in an escalation cycle and the kids are seeing that over a long period of time. What can that mean for um, for children and what are the consequences of being stuck in that uh, escalation cycle for the kids? Yeah, so there's two. There's it's a pretty easy one to answer in terms of some low-level concerns and one is that you end up with a what we call a parentified child. And that is, as the name suggests, that the child end up becoming the parent for the one who can't actually parent themselves. So that child is the one who therefore takes responsibility for mm. getting mum up and getting her a cup of tea in the morning or telling dad to calm down or managing the family finances or looking after the little baby in the family who can't, who mum's too tired or too distressed mm. or dad mm. can't be bothered with because he's too busy working and puts on the iPad. You know, I'm giving you some, some I guess, some examples from the families we've worked with here. Um, the other one, of course, is that these children get involved in a whole um, level of unhelpful behaviours and thinking styles themselves, which end up with um, a lot of mental health-related issues. So the anxiety of not knowing, you know, mm. whether mum's going to get them to school on time or whether dad's going to be aggressive or whether, you know, their, their sibling's going to actually get picked up from mm. sport because the parents are warring about who should pick up who. Mm. I mean, they're obvious things that really lead kids to be very anxious and anxiety over long periods period of time often leads to depression and sadness, mm. sense of helplessness and hopelessness. And of course, these kids, you know, depending on their age, you know, it's very hard for them to verbalise that in a mm. healthy way mm. if they haven't seen that done. Mm. 
for themselves. So that often escalates into these kids becoming more angry or aggressive at school, withdrawing, and then you've got the ramifications of social skills problems and um, and, and conflict at school, which again we know then that that sort of puts peer relationships at risk and we know that is a protective factor for kids going through mm. divorce. The better their peer relationship, the more protected they are mm. from mental health issues. But also if they're withdrawing, they're withdrawing from school as well. Mm. And we know that academics are incredibly important as well for these kids in terms of their sense of self, sense of achievement. And as they, they withdraw from school, uh, their, their grades go down, then that's another thing that's actually very difficult for them to pick up. So we really want kids to be engaged as much as possible and as many activities outside the family structure during these times they can cope with because sometimes it's the footy coach that keeps them on track sometimes mm, it's mm, the classroom teacher mm. that keeps them on track the swimming coach you know the, the cheerleading coach and wherever possible we want healthy ad- adults to stay engaged with these kids so on those days we're not doing our best when we're quite childlike there's another adult who can pick up and be that for us on that day yeah yeah so you mentioned before um this idea of even if you are separating or separated and divorced or divorcing, this concept of understanding that it's still business for life, especially for the kids. When you mention that to, to, to people, um, how do they react to that? Because most people implicitly regard separation or divorce as, um, as an end of something and plainly it's an end of one thing. But how do you reconcile an end of the, the nature of one relationship with the fact that it's in everybody's interest yeah. to regard the rest of the life as as still a business, especially where there are kids involved? Yeah, and it's interesting because it, depending on how the, the separation divorce has, has occurred and the type of parents that you're dealing with, some will inherently know that. Some will inherently know that although this romantic part of the relationship ended has ended, mm. The job of parenting hasn't. And they're the easy ones to work with, I must say, because they just get it. And they get that they need to make handover times really easy. And they get it that they've both got to have the same set of rules in both houses. And they get it that they need to make bedtime the same and that they need to let kids move their belongings between houses and not have to have one set of clothes and at the other. And that this really is an important space for the kids to feel like they've still got some consistency between homes. They're the ones that are easiest to work with and where the kids tend to still thrive regardless of having two homes now. The ones that are harder to work with are the ones who seem to get stuck in the idea that they the other parent needs to be blamed or shamed or or put back in their place or made to feel something for the reason a separation has occurred. So by and large, the, the dynamic is destroyed a little bit by the fact that they're still so focused on the adult relationships mm-hmm. that they've forgotten that the, the business is actually that of the children. And, and they're the families we work with quite for quite long periods of time to help mm-hmm. them get beyond what is now finished, which is the romantic relationship, that they now need to be parents forever <laughs> to these beautiful children they produced. That, notwithstanding the nobility of the cause, yeah. that's a, that must be a hard transition uh, to let go of romance and, and, and all of that with that particular partner, but also let go of blame, especially if you feel hurt. 
Yeah, and and that's it's, you're so right, and that's where we is we I've said it's radical acceptance. Yeah, I, because and it's and I said you need to be grown up because it is really tough to let go of those hurts and those vulnerabilities because they're very childlike positions, very childlike emotions, and and that little part of the self doesn't actually want to adult at those times. It just wants to hurt somebody or it wants to you know blame somebody else, and it, and and it's it's really tough to say actually I have got to put that aside now. And be grown up enough to realise I have little eyes watching me mm. and I need to be a better person mm. for them and for me to keep mm. moving forward. It sounds like, um, and this is a layperson's interpretation of, of some of the messages, but it sounds like for many people um, you're, in the, you're in the business of skills building. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, Plainly, people will have different levels of skills and different types of skills. Sure. So, is it is it the truth that when you're meeting with people, you need to make an assessment about the skills that they have, as opposed to the skills that, that they need? So, are you taking people on a skills building journey? Is that oh, in large part question. What, what this is what this is about? And, and when I, you're right. And, and people will come to marriage with a set of skills based a lot on their experiences, mm. family of origin, support networks. And some people may come in come into a marriage with an extraordinary set of skills around conflict resolution, about mm. managing emotions, about maintaining healthy lifestyle. And some won't have built many of those at all mm. <laughs> and be relying on another person to mm. do a lot of that for them. Now, obviously, that leaves that person very vulnerable if that other person they relied on quite heavily leaves and then they have to do what they should have done years before which is now grow up mm, mm, <laughs> and mm. but I didn't say that in, in a way that I said was easy mm, uh, mm. so that is our job as psychologists to not say where they should be but rather identify where the where they would be if they were being healthy and mm. where they currently are and identify that gap and then put those skills in place in order to help them move into that adult space if they're not there. Identify where they, their strengths areas are because we don't just want to look at struggles, we want to look at strengths and to help them know, okay, if we do this, these are the next things they can build on that and this will be the repercussions. But it's not a, a quick process. Mm. You know, there's many people who are missing many skills for reasons that are, are not their fault. You know, if you mm. come from a dysfunctional family of origin, mm. you hardly asked for that. Mm. You know, now you've had a dysfunctional family of origin and perhaps an unhelpful or abusive partner, it's very hard to build skills in those zones. Mm. Mm. So they're the people we'd want to hold for a lot longer and support for a whole longer and getting a whole lot of skills that they deserve to have but were never given the opportunities to develop. So some families will work with for very small periods of time mm. just because of circumstance have a whole lot of skills already and some families we may need to work with for years as they slowly start to build those skills and become the self that they deserve to be. Mm. Uh, this is uh, Jack Whelan uh, speaking with uh, senior clinical psychologist uh, Heather Irvine-Rundle about the fascinating subject of how people can thrive after separation and divorce. Heather, you've just, uh, and we've just discussed uh, building skills in order to be able to do this and, and, and make this transition really well. Let's just talk very practically about one of those skills that I suspect many people don't have and, uh, and, and many of us um, may have on some occasions and not on others. That moment where um, there is conflict on the horizon 
um, even, say, picking up the kids from school or, or whatever it might be. It could be in the middle of a separation or, or divorce, could be in court or not. Um, and you feel as if something needs to be said to your partner, um, but you have a sense that that may be um, a cause of an escalation. However, with all the, all the passion, all the emotion and so forth, in the context of de-escalation being one of the important messages to ensure that kids are in good shape themselves, how does one actually process, uh, what, what skills does one actually need to be able to avoid that moment where you feel as if you are going to escalate conflict? Well, firstly, and I say to all the people I work with, the only person you can be in control is control of is you and and there's lots of rehearsal that we can do there's lots of skills building we can do but you can't always be in control of what the other person does or says and so in those situations the person that you need to be keep, keep yourself reminded that's in control here is you mm-hmm. so that's making sure you're going into that situation with an idea and we will do some what's called imagery rehearsal mm-hmm. of you staying calm regardless of what the other person says. Now, that's not saying you need to say calm if they become threatening or violent. That's a different set of circumstances. However, if it's words that are being used, we always work on the person staying calm regardless of what's being said because if you use a tone or if you use anything that suggests that you're becoming threatening towards them, that escalates very quickly. Now, in a lot of the work that I'll do, I will actually say to some to the dads or the mums that I've worked with, just notice your heart rate. Notice your heart rate. And if you feel it's starting to be that point where it's about to burst out of, out of your, che- um, mm-hmm. your chest, that's probably a good time to say, hey, look, I feel like this is getting heated. Why don't we leave this for today? Why don't I send you a text or I'll send you an email describing what I was going to talk to you about yeah. and let's do it via that way. Now, because it can take three, four or five times to actually get through an issue. Remember, mm. the reason that you broke up, broke up as a relationship, romantic relationship, is because you probably had some conflict management issues before. Yeah. You know, it's, in, it's interesting that some people think it can now get better that you're not together. Well, no. Mm. <laughs> if you had them before, you're going to keep having them. Mm. Uh, the, the difference is, is that you can be a better self when you approach these. Mm. So you've got to keep in mind that you have to stay clear with how you want to be in those um, circumstances. And that getting an outcome isn't always something that's possible. Mm. And it may take a few goes before you get actually what you want. Now, did I say that was perfect? No. This is, again, a case of radical acceptance. We have to radically accept that we cannot always get the outcome we want because if you've got two people and one doesn't want to achieve the same outcome as you, it's not always possible. But you have to take care of your own sense of self and your own sense of behaviour and it's better to walk away and not get an outcome than to keep pushing for an outcome and become completely emotionally and behaviourally dysregulated, scare the kids, scare yourself, and then all we've got is another example of of the kids seeing that mum and dad can't work together at all and therefore they can't ever see them being together at weddings, together at basketball, together at teachers' feedback sessions, and that just puts the kids in a really tough spot. Does that cause uh, kids in those circumstances uh, sadness and grief themselves? Well, The prospect of perhaps a future whereby knowing that mum and dad aren't going to be... You know, uh, at their 
at their own wedding in the year ahead or even just at their own footy games on the weekend or netball games. And, and this is where, you know, it's not dissimilar the work we do with kids, which is about grieving their dream. They never saw in their minds that they were going to have to have a time where they would have the mum and the dad that they love mm. at opposite ends mm. of the basketball stadium or that they may not speak to each other at mm. their wedding. I mean, mm. kids have to grieve their dream too. Mm. So often a lot of the work we do post-separation divorce is grief work. Yeah. And for kids as well, then we move into that word I said before, radical acceptance. <laughs> there has to be some radical acceptance of this or else these kids are often stuck in a place where they're still trying desperately to get mum and dad back together mm. and doing whatever they can to get that to be the result. And at some point it's a really tough day for kids when they finally resign themselves to this idea that they're not. Mm. But then we can start the work of then, okay, so if they're really not, we can radically accept this. How can we move on with health? ways of having two homes, yeah, of having yeah. two Christmases, of having two Easter's, of having maybe two different places to, to spend holidays with, and then we can start to move on. But you have to radically accept before you can actually integrate this new world into your behaviour. That sounds like a design question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, how at the appropriate time uh, you actually make a, a choice and hopefully with your partner, if there is some amicability, how you can design the future for, for yourself, your kids, um, that must create, um, well, is that empowering, the, the idea that you can actually take responsibility and then move towards designing a way forward for yourself and for your kids? Yeah, and that's where when you have two parents who are willing to work together who can sit down with my, with myself or another psychologist or with the kids if the, if the skills are high enough and say, you know, let's make this Christmas great. Yep. Let's really, I know it's not going to look the same as all being together in the yeah. same room, but you're going to have two Christmases this year. You're going to have one set of presents from here and one set of presents for here. You're going to have two lots of Christmas pudding or whatever it is. And suddenly you're engaging with the the child's sense of wonder and excitement and, mm. and, and all the things that they want again. And, and mm. the same with holidays. You, I, I'm not here trying to present something that looks, you know, like some sort of utopia, mm. but certainly you can give the kids an idea that as they're saying goodbye to one dream, they can create another. And mm. it's really important mm. we do that for our kids because fantasy is more powerful than fact for kids. Right. They will always dream up a, a whole set of scenarios that are either unhelpful or helpful mm. depending on what support we give them so we need to stay engaged with these dreams that they've got of the future and help them create them in ways that they can get excited about it too it just it just strikes me um listening to uh, what what you're talking about in respect of helping people build their skills um helping people trying to de-escalate conflict for the for the good of the kids um people being able to work with their kids to design new futures and so forth albeit different from what they had anticipated it just strikes me that that's one set of messages um which are somewhat contradicted by many of the messages coming out of my own profession the law when you look at um uh, how uh much of the law manages disputation in, in families in particular, the message is to fight. Um, you know, we fight for you, that type of, that type of message. Um, it strikes it, it me that, that in circumstances where one, one profession is giving one message and another profession giving another, 
uh, a contrasting message. So there must be circumstances where uh, the family, husband or the, or the wife or, or both are kind of stuck in the middle. Absolutely. And, and it's what's hard is where you'll get, um, say, one parent who wants to work with psychology mm. and mediators, mm. uh, who wants to work on de-escalation, mm. etc. And you've got another who's really engaged with a high conflict mm. type of um, um, legal team. Uh, and he'll shoot off emails, ask me for reports, and and really want to get this idea of the of of the parents being divided. Mm. When what we, as I said, you have to get this will only work if we have parents united with the business that they need to raise children, and that's the key concept that we need to keep uh, reinforcing. And I hope that through work that you're doing, mm. um, Jack, and the, the message gets out there that. Only through uniting parents, not in a romantic relationship, but in the business of raising healthy children, are we going to get a way forward here because we have a huge level of divorce and separation uh, across the world, and particularly in Australia. We've got to move on from the idea of being on different teams. You're on the same team for the rest of your life, and that team is raising healthy kids. So, yes, I hope we can all get on the same page and work in the same direction. It's so fascinating, isn't it? Heather, it strikes me that uh, the things that we're talking about um, have have some. The things that we're talking about um, won't be necessarily applicable to everybody because people are so individual and the dynamics of relationships are so different. Um, what do you have? What do you have to say about that reality? Yeah, that is a really important reality. That in, in fact, the advice we've given today will be useful and parts of it will be very meaningful for about 80% of separating mm. um, parents. We cannot deny that there's a cohort of um, people dealing with uh, partners who have got severe personality disorders, mm. whether that's antisocial personality disorder or narcissism, um, borderline personality disorder, where there's a high level of, you know, really extreme conflict, mm. violence and aggression and, and really no intention of actually ever being a team player. And, and for those family, for those parents who are, who are um, listening to this podcast, I just want you to know that in those situations, it really is important that you keep in mind about being your best self and being the best you can be for your kids. But also, you need to get together with um, the type of um, legal team that, that Jack is suggesting here. That's not into that's not into more conflict. <laughs> that's into resolution, but can also really support you on that journey of making sure you have your voice heard and your rights known and met in a very complex and difficult time for you if that's the type of person that you're dealing with. Mm. It, it's very, very case-specific. Um, Heather, I feel like we could talk all day. Um, we could. I suspect we'll need a part two and a part three Absolutely. of our podcast, but thank you so much for your time and effort. It's been a real pleasure, and hopefully those who are listening to the podcast have picked up some really wonderful insights from uh, one of the best in the business. Uh, Heather Irvine Rundle, thank you very much. Thank you.